Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. My name is Mark Ellis, and what a special episode we have for everyone listening or watching today. My co-host, Jacqueline Coley, is going to be joining in just a little bit, as is our very special guest from the hit podcast, Medium Popcorn, which you can also check out on YouTube if you want to watch it. It's Brandon Collins, who's a big Nicolas Cage fan, and really, who is it? We love Nick Cage because he's a great actor, whether it's in a rom-com, an action movie, a heartfelt drama, and he also goes for it in movies that are really running the gamut from super fresh like Pig and Moonstruck all the way down to, yeah, he's got a couple zero percenters out there. So we're going to be talking about all things Nick Cage, particularly those movies that he has that are rotten on the tomato meter, but we think maybe Rotten Tomatoes is wrong about those flicks, one of which is Con Air, the action smash that was the same summer as Face Off. He got Con Air, then he had Face Off like the next month. And so while Face Off is sitting up there pretty at fresh, 92%, Con Air is rotten at 55%. And so now before we're joined by Jacqueline Coley and Brandon Collins, we're going to turn it over to Tim Ryan. He's our review curation manager, and he's an expert at all these things here at Rotten Tomatoes. So he's going to tell us what critics were saying about Con Air at the time of its release. I know what I was saying. I really wanted that hair at the time. Seemed like a good idea. Tim, what did the critics say at the time? Two minutes with Tim. Normally, I want you to give our podcast your undivided attention. But given today's subject, I want you to press pause and immediately read Dana Stevens' fantastic 2010 Slate essay, The Heat-Seeking Panther, which is both hilarious and insightful in its attempts to grapple with Nicolas Cage's fascinating career. No spoilers or anything, but the closest she comes to a conclusion is this. When Cage takes on these outsized B-movie roles, Stevens writes, I don't believe for a moment that he is just nodding wearily to his agent and his accountant. I think he's fulfilling a vision, albeit one that looks inscrutable from the outside, of choosing roles in the kind of movies he himself loves. When it comes to the critics, Nicolas Cage's filmography varies wildly. His worst reviewed is Left Behind from 2014, which is rotten at 0%. His best-reviewed movie is from last year. Pig is certified fresh at 97%. Into the Spider-Verse, which features Cage in a fantastic cameo, is also at 97%, but it's not really a Nicolas Cage movie per se. Also, Red Rock West from 1993 is at 97%, but it doesn't have as many reviews. We're talking about Con Air today, and it's right smack dab in the middle. 
it's rotten at 55% on the tomato meter with 65 reviews, though it does have a 75% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Wade Major of Box Office Magazine wrote that Con Air falls well below the stature of its aspirations, too often substituting bombast for believability before finally plunging headlong into the ridiculous. However, in a fresh review, Dwayne Burge of The Hollywood Reporter wrote, packed high with explosive action and loaded with high-stakes jeopardy, Con Air charts a genuinely sound narrative course, although it hits some turbulence before it hits its cinematic jackpot. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, Con Air won't win any awards for believability, and all involved seem cheerfully aware of it, making some of this blockbuster action outing's biggest flaws fairly easy to forgive. So that's Con Air. And I think it's worth noting that they somehow managed to get every Mark and Jacqueline in the universe onto this one podcast, and then somehow managed to let them take it over, and then somehow managed to stick me right smack in the middle. Back to you, folks. What a time it was to enjoy action movies back in the mid-90s. Fun fact, director Simon West, actually, I'll tell you what else Simon West, who directed Con Air, did after we have our exclusive interview with Brandon Collins and Jacqueline Coley joining me right now. As promised, we are now joined by our very special guest who Jack would really does it all. Stand-up comedy, producer, podcaster. He's the co-host of Medium Popcorn and Drunk Black History, and he's an active member of the African-American Film Critics Association. Brandon Collins, when do you get to take a nap? Do, do you have any naps in your day, or are you just always busy telling jokes, talking movies? It's funny. I just started taking naps, but even when I'm taking a nap, I'm still either listening to music or I'm listening to a podcast. Like I never, my brain never stops. It's just, uh, it's, it's just always going, man. I'm always thinking of unique ideas or potential shows. And it's, it's just the way it's been. Cause I was, you know, when I was six years old, my mom put me in front of a TV and just let me watch TV shows and movies all day. And my brain has just never slowed down ever since. That was that 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 kind of seems like how Jacqueline and I came up into the world too, especially with entertainment. Do you remember the first time you saw Nick Cage? The first time that you like mentally could recognize, hey, that is a prominent actor, and I think I like this guy. Yep, and uh, inappropriately, yeah. it was 1997's Face Off. My mom, uh, you know, I was a good kid, so my mom would take me to go see R-rated movies with her. And I remember, you know, the opening scene where Nicolas Cage is in a priest costume, and yep. he puts his hand on that choir girl's butt. And I just remember being like, I know who Nick Cage is now. Like, this is disturbing. Like, who is this guy? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I've been following his career ever since. Jacqueline, what's your first Nick Cage movie? Do you remember your, your very first experience with, uh, with the Cage? I think it was actually Moonstruck for me because this was in, yeah, it was definitely Moonstruck because this was still in the like, we watch the Oscars every year situation in my family house. So as much as my mother likes to pretend that this was not a career she set me forth on, I would be like, well, those days watching TCM and the Oscars beg to differ. But um, yeah, I remember Moonstruck and I remember the the clip that was oftentimes used for that movie was him with like my hand and I was like oh he's going there huh and I just I was like this guy is a lot and then I think I saw Valley Girl shortly after that but yeah I think the very first one for me was Moonstruck yeah so I remember the Moonstruck poster at Video Update but I <laughs> I remember the first time I acknowledged that this Nick Cage guy was like an actor 
it was wild at heart because I didn't rent it. I like back then I'm just looking for anything that looked like star Wars. And so my <laughs> sister, my older sister had rented wild at heart, this David Lynch movie with Nick Cage and Laura Dern. It was before I, I knew her from Jurassic park. And like, I just caught glimpses of that movie. And I was like, I don't know what adults do with their free time, but I hope mom and dad aren't doing this. Cause this is nuts. This is crazy. <laughs> That's like how I feel about every Nicolas Cage movie. That's what I'm so excited to talk about because there's very few Nicolas Cage movies where I'm like, that was quiet. That was calm. <laughs> like, you know, this, it's even Mandy, which is probably his most quiet one in regards to Definitely like. Definitely not calm. Yeah, it's not calm, <laughs> but it's just like, you know, very eerie. The whole movie. Even that's like cuckoo bananas when you're watching. You're like, oh, Nicolas Cage is in his underwear now screaming. One of the few lines of dialogue he has. Yeah, you're still not taking a nap during something like Mandy. And what's interesting about our three picks for like the first time we really knew this was Nick Cage is that those are all fresh movies. Now, y'all went super fresh. Moonstruck is 94%. Face Off is 92%. Wild at Heart for me, 67%, which is one below what I consider to be not only the maybe the greatest Nick Cage action movie, but also the second best action movie of the 90s, The Rock, is 68%. But let's start talking about some of these movies that are we're basing our whole show around. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about Nick Cage flicks? Because he's got so many rotten movies, some of which are very fairly rotten. He's got a couple zero percenters that I think deserve to be zero percent, but he's got a lot of really good stuff that just isn't redeemed in the critics' eyes for whatever. So, Brandon, you have the honor kick us off here what is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about when it comes to Nicolas Cage where do you want to start I mean I want to start the Wicker Man I think the Wicker Man is one of the most fun <laughs> viewing experiences of my life I, I it, every I was always surprised and then when I watched the, the behind the scenes like extras and stuff and Nicolas Cage is doing interviews I'm like oh this movie was just all like cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. There's no one was on the level when they were making this film. Like, mm. um, and it just has amazing sound bites. Like on, on my movie podcast, we do like, Oh my God. Oh my God. It's just so good. The bees. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He came with his own drops, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. He came with his own sound effects. Branded, sir. You came with it. I have to say, you're the first guest to ever do that. And so I have to make sure everyone knows that was not us. <laughs> Man came prepared. I have right. so many Nicolas Cage quotes. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, so Wicker Man and then Trespass. Trespass is my favorite one that I know, like I vehemently believe Ron Tomatoes got completely wrong because everyone gives it 110%, even though they didn't have to, and they shouldn't have. And it's just <laughs> amazing. Like Joel Schumacher directed the hell out of this uh, weird, campy lifetime thriller with Nicolas Cage and Nicole Kidman as a married couple. <laughs> it's so crazy. It's 11% and The Wicker Man is 15%. So I, I guess like my question here is, are, like, is, are we, particularly with Wicker Man, is Wicker Man actually something that you feel like is a fresh movie or is it just something where it's so fun to watch? Is it like so bad it's good or do you think it's actually like a good movie? I think, because again, I, I watched the, like, the behind the scenes and the commentary and stuff. I think knowing what their intention was, I actually think it's a really good movie. Because they okay, delivered, Jack, on, you agree? They delivered on what their, their vision was for the, you know, the performances and the vibe of the movie. Wicker Man or Trespass? Because I have different opinions. If it's the Wicker Man, I do think it was put forth in earnest. I just think that the earnest was guided by some misguided people. 
Trespass, I legitimately don't know. Like, Trespass seems like a movie that they need to do, like, an oral history because it has, like, A-list caliber talent slumming it. And as Brian, as Brandon quite rightly said, Brian Perez, sorry, not that, and Brandon quite rightly said, uh, it's, it's bad. It's so bad. It's like, that was a movie that probably was meant to go to a studio. They sold off to somebody crazy. And it just has some weird story because there's no way that those people signed up for what they ended up with. Does that make sense? Yeah, there there was a movie that was that they set out to make or at least that, that is on the page and then it becomes something very different. And and with The Wicker Man, I I do feel like they were going they wanted to be as bonkers as they possibly could. Um, yes. The movie, I don't think, was necessarily marketed that way. It was just marketed as like a straight horror movie. So I remember seeing it for the first time being like, this is not like, it, it, this is just another level of crazy and not because cra- like this movie came out, I think, a, a couple of years after The Others, you know, yeah. which is a horror movie that, that does the normal horror movie stuff. It builds up and we have creepy reveals and The Wicker Man just gets so bonkers for so many different reasons. I don't I, I, I don't know if it's fresh, but man, is it rewatchable. Gotta be fresh for when he's flipping over the the kid's mask, trying to find the, the kid, and then uh, you know he he puts on a bear costume and goes up to uh, the woman that recruited him. He's like, "Hey, it's me." It's just there's so many crazy moments in that that uh, that film. Also, though, too, like what's crazy about the whole idea of it is it's really ripping up. Like it's like that was that time period's the very first Wicker Man. Like that was that time period's Midsommar. That's what it was set up to be, which just this like, oh, you've gotten caught up in some stuff you did not ken. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't know what you're messing with here and you're going to go. It's going to spiral out of control with some very strange white people that are all committed to the same assignment. And you did not know the assignment. And so in that respect, I actually understand why they went bonkers. I just think. I don't know. Nicolas Cage is not the type of dude that I think you should tell the movie is bonkers about. I think you should just tell Nicolas Cage it's straightforward because that's what Mandy is. Nicolas Cage is actually fairly straightforward in that movie and everything around him is bonkers. And that's what sells it. Yeah, he's the same will in uh, Willie's Wonderland. What, what's the, the yeah. yeah the film that just came out uh, not too long ago? He's he he plays it completely straight, and everything around him is madness. Is that the Color of Space one, or is that oh no? I know which one you talk about. Yes, um, it's the one with the animatronics come alive. Yes, yes, he's done it. He's it's kind of hard to do it. Like um, unbearable weight of massive talent. That was a Sundance film that's just now coming out. I saw that there, and trust me when I say like. Lordy, <laughs> y'all just y'all just wait. Are we having um, fun with that, Jacqueline? I mean, look, that's one of the reasons why we're celebrating the the, the breadth of Mr. Cage's work yeah. is because of this new movie he's got coming out where it's so meta, where it's just him playing himself for this, you know, international gangster. Is it it are do, are you allowed to tell us how you feel about that movie? So I'm getting confused. Prisoners of Ghostland is the one that was at Sundance. That was the one that was. At Don't Sundance. get me excited it's, like that. No, unbearable weight of massive talent. I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> so maybe I have seen it, but I don't think I'm allowed. I literally just remembered. I'm like, oh, I'm not allowed to say. But so next question. <laughs> Go to I'll somebody else. <laughs> I'll, I'll bail you out right now because it's it's very interesting that Brandon is going into is going Wicker Man and Trespass early in the show because I feel like there is a Nick Cage that we knew who was like the rom-com guy who would occasionally do a David Lynch movie. And then he had his action star days in the 90s with an incredible trio 
from The Rock to Con Air, which we'll talk about in a little bit, and then Face Off. And then Wicker Man comes out in 2005, I believe. And then National Treasure Book of Secrets is 2006. And it seems like right around that time is when we started embracing this new Nick Cage that was just so weird and kooky and zany. And it started like, it was like, we didn't know when his real life ended and when his screen life began. And then you have Trespass by 2011. And that's the year after The Sorcerer's Apprentice, which is, I, I think, unfairly rotten at 40% because it's such a fun movie. And the movie did like over $200 million worldwide. But The Sorcerer's Apprentice, I remember being in the theater and being like, this is who this guy is now. I know he's got great performances in him, but this is who this guy is. He is just so out of his mind over the top, yet he's still, he's still working within the framework of the film, if that makes sense, Brandon. Yeah, he has such an amazing filmography because he doesn't say no to an assignment, but he always understands the assignment, right? Like, even like his voice work into the Spider-Verse, I'm like, man, Nicolas Cage is a national treasure. Like, no pun intended. <laughs> I'm like, because on our podcast, we frequently talk about Denzel Washington to us is the best actor of all time. But then we'll see a Nicolas Cage movie, we'll be like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, when I saw The Rock, I mean, The Rock is probably his most serious, like his most normal like action role, but you know, the rock and con air, which we'll talk about in a second. Cause I think that Ryan Bales is wrong about that. He just has such amazing range and you, you can't help but smile when he's on screen. You just know you're going to get something different. Jack, when I got disagree. a comparison here. Okay. So I'm a huge, huge basketball fan. And as we have March madness, then we get into the NBA playoffs. Nick cage is the player who's not on the best team. He's, he's on an underdog team, but he's the guy you got to put three bodies on him because he can get hot. And like if Denzel is a blue blood, like a Duke or a Kansas or a Carolina, Nick Cage is just that other team that just showed Nick Cage is Gonzaga. He just shows up and could <laughs> beat anybody at any time because he's just that talented, but we just never know what kind of movie we're going to get. And so you have these movies like Into the Spider-Verse and I would I would cite Joe as the movie mm -hmm. that, that, that sort of taught me that Nick Cage can still deliver an Oscar worthy performance anytime he gets out of bed he's capable of doing that and we saw it again this past year with pig jacqueline that's not just the sound of that first sip of morning joe it's the sound of someone shopping for a car on carvana from the comfort of home that's a good blend it's time to take it easy like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes talk about starting the morning right just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Yeah, no, Pig, I, that's the one I think of. Mandy used to be that one, too. I, I think for me, if I'm being really honest, the thing with Nick Cage is the fact that he can be with anyone, but I always use this analogy. Nick can do what Leo does. Leo can't do what Nick does. Do you know what I mean? Like, Ooh. like, like he can play in other people's court, but other people can't play in his. 
And there's another actor who I say is like this. Um, and it's funny that I mentioned Leo because Leo is going to be taking over a role that he originated. And that's Mads Mikkelsen. Mads Mikkelsen is like a modern day Renaissance Viking. Like that dude is on a different level. He can dance like Fred Astaire. And like given the right amount of scoring underneath it will be the most sinister villain that you've ever seen. But then he also can be this like charismatic sex symbol that you're just like, yeah, get it. Like, you know what I mean? He does what the other girls can't do. Like, that's just the best way to put it. And and I feel like Nick Cage and him both have that very similar energy. Um, and you need to go check out some of Mads is more like, I would say, underground, especially European foreign language work, like his work in his native tongue to really, I think, encompass that. But Lord, is it good. Yeah, during the beginning of the pandemic, I binged Hannibal and I was like, oh, I'm seeing anything this guy does after this. <laughs> exactly. doing so anything he, do, he puts out, I'm watching. He can do Hannibal Lecter and he can do another round. He can do the bad guy and like Grindelwald and Doctor Strange. And he could do this recent like one that he did, which is basically like Ravenous set in the Danish wilderness. <laughs> like, oh, what's the name of it? It's a uh, it just came out. I'll look it up in a second. But yeah, no, it's it's that kind of energy. And I think that's why Nicolas Cage will always be. And there's so many other examples of it. Like, sure, you could have gotten Mark Wahlberg to do National Treasure, but Mark Wahlberg can't do Mandy. And there's so many, like, you can take the action stars that he does it better. You can take the more serious dramatic actors that he does it. You can take the straight up comedic weird stuff that he does with stuff like Adaptation or um, uh, Matchstick Men, you know? And you can also look at something like like Face Off because... With Face Off, him and John Travolta clearly had a ball imitating each other. But I still and and Travolta is great in the movie. But when Travolta becomes the villain of the film, it's like he's having fun as Nick Cage. But he's not. He can't do that for an entire movie and put it on his back the way that that Nick Cage could. And that was again. I mean, you're talking about the heyday of Nick Cage as an action star. So I remember being in the theater. I don't think I was even sick. I think all my friends were 16 and I and I didn't have a driver's license yet. And so there was a discussion and, and you know, don't do this in the theater, kids. Just focus on the movie. You can stay out past curfew. But we were all sort of, it was like seven of us. We're all debating how much trouble individually we're going to get in if we miss curfew because we don't want to leave the rock early because this movie's just too much fun. And so a couple guys bolted. Me and two of my friends didn't. We did get in trouble, but it was worth it because we saw the rock and the greatness that is the rock. And then the very next year, you followed up with Con Air, which as as Brandon and I feel like, Jacqueline, I believe you're on the same page as us. It's 55% rotten, which is fresh adjacent but not nearly fresh enough. That movie is so much fun. Even repeat viewing, like if you take it seriously as an action movie, you can certainly look at elements of it as a comedy, but if you just take it seriously as an action movie, Brandon, it's a great, great 90s action flick. As amazing quotes, put the bunny in back in the box. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like what? <laughs> but he always commits. That's what's like, you know, to Jacqueline's point, Leonardo could not do his twin role in an adaptation. Like as charismatic and as much as he's a leading man, he could not do the weirdness that's required there. Even face off when Nicolas Cage is playing himself as a tortured John Travolta, it's it just chef's kiss. You can't. Yeah. I couldn't do that mentally as a performer. And especially after he starts off so crazy, just dancing around to the Madonna video in that like this is what was so crazy about the 90s. They loved like Catholic iconography. I remember this very prevalent in like Romeo and Juliet and Face Off. Like they loved all of that stuff. And I was just like, this is like a weird look. But hey, everybody looks like they're having fun. 
Everybody looks like they're having fun. Least of all, uh, Nicolas Cage. I do also, you guys mentioned Con Air. I have to mention this one too about Con Air is what's crazy about that one is like the heart of that movie is still like the family aspect of him. And they're like, when the Diane Warren penned first, Leanne Rhymes sang eventually Trisha Yearwood's song saying, uh, how do I live? And he's walking with that torn, beat up bunny. The movie has to sell when he hands her the bunny and is like, I'm sorry, I got it messed up. Like it has to sell in that moment. And he has to be able to, I think, solidify both and rock that really great mullet hair. Because we haven't even discussed Nick, Nick Cage hair because that's a whole nother podcast episode. Yeah, his hair in that is 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 next level. It's funny you bring up the song that was that ended up winning a Grammy. Yeah, uh, how should I live? So at at first it was recorded by Leanne Rhymes. She was 15 years old at the time, and then Trisha Yearwood covered it. They both released their version of the song on the same day. Here's the rub. Leanne Rhymes performed the song at the Grammys. Trisha Yearwood's version ended up winning at the Grammys. So Nick Cage is giving everybody careers here. <laughs> His <laughs> movies are just a springboard for everyone, including, as y'all alluded to, um, just a great hairdressing team. I do agree with that. Also, shout out to the fact that um, both Diane Warren, Leanne Rhymes, and Trisha Yearwood were put behind basically some men who didn't like things. So the reason why Trisha did her recording is because the Leanne Rhymes version, which, as you said, was recorded first, was going to be the single. The producers of the movie, which the song is being penned for, were like, we don't like her version. And the other little comedy of that is her version because they didn't like her version for the movie. Right. But the Leanne version was the hit. And Leanne laughed that shit all the way to the bank. So I think they both win in a certain way, maybe. I don't know. I'm definitely added to her Spotify uh, paycheck because I listen to that song probably once a week on Shuffle. (laughs) It's a good good, uh, 90s like action ballad. Yeah, it's the perfect song for any occasion. And and if you're looking at favorite scenes that are in Con Air, that there's there's so many to choose from because you have you have so many great actors in that movie. Like that's the thing that people forget about Con Air is it it, it makes a great gif and 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 it's funny to reference. It's like clue for villains on a plane because you have all these villains that could end up being the main boss at any point. You got John Malkovich on your plane. You got Ving Rams on your plane. You got Dave Chappelle on your plane. And then down below you have. Uh, Cole Meany, you have John Cusack chasing everybody, and then obviously Nicolas Cage. So, Brandon, what is the scene in Con Air that you're like, boom, that's a great action movie? Just the beginning when, like, he comes back and he's, like, going to the bar where uh, Monica Parter's working, and, like, that whole scene is just <laughs> cheesy, and then he gets to the fight, and it's like, he's going to jail. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be fun. <laughs> this is going to be a fun <laughs> ride. Uh, but also, obviously, the ending with, like, the fire truck chase through Vegas, it's just so insane. And John Cusack's yeah. got his little motorcycle. And I'm like, there's no yep. way he would be able to just jump on a motorcycle like that. But that's no. what you get from these action movies. And Nicolas Cage uh, headlining most of them is just phenomenal. Considering that yeah. he does that, he can do animated movies. He can do uh, comedy. Like, he's so versatile. And I think that yeah. that's why he doesn't get enough credit because it's really hard to do that. And not enough people want to shout out. His affinity for filmmaking and just doing whatever it takes to make the good movie, I think endears him to pretty much anyone. And that's the reason why, like, we have this great quote from Mark Hoffmeyer talking about Nicolas Cage from Ethan Hawke, where he's like, 
I think he's one of the few people in history of acting that's really changed the form. And I don't think an actor like Ethan Hawke says that unless he's seen him like put up the goods. And I will always look at leaving Las Vegas as the perfect example. You made us fall in love with somebody who literally is killing themselves slowly over the course of two and a half hours to the point it's almost like the second season of Fleabag. This is the perfect version of the love story that these two are ever going to be willing to achieve. There's something about Nick Cage who is just he's 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 in movies that give female singers tremendous hits because Cheryl Crow got a great <laughs> one out of Leaving Las Vegas. She and that did. movie, I mean, obviously that's a fresh movie, 91%. And that's the movie he won his Oscar for. He was also nominated for adaptation. If we go back to like the the things that Rotten Tomatoes is wrong about, Jacqueline, do you have a movie that you circle and you're like, okay, Nick Cage needs more justice for this movie? If I had to circle the movie that Nicolas Cage needs more justice for, I mean, I think I'd go with probably Gone in 60 Seconds just because that is another one that is hella rewatchable. I've thought long days about what it was like for Vinnie Jones to be on the set of that movie set. Like legitimately, I've spent a significant amount of time because that was like Angelina Jolie was like still wearing Billy Bob Thornton's blood and stuff at that point. Nick Cage is doing Nick Cage. I don't know what Delroy Lindo was probably thinking on the set of that movie. Like, it just seems like it was a weird group of people. Giovanni Ravisi, who, if folks don't know about his history, he's got a few. There's a lot. So, yeah, no, I would say Gone in 60 Seconds. That movie is hella rewatchable. Great soundtrack. It's Cars. I love movies about cars. The fact that the car is a character in that movie is just so great. I love, love, love it. And it's funny as hell. So I would say Gone in 60 Seconds. It's 25% rotten. We we get another all-time great Nicolas Cage character name with that one, Brandon. He plays Randall Memphis Reigns. And the dude, first of all, the thing that sold me on Gone in 60 Seconds, I remember being in the theater. I might have been in the theater for Face Off. I, I can't remember, but there was a trailer, like a teaser trailer for a new Nick Cage movie called Gone in 60 Seconds. And the trailer was counting down from 60 seconds. And it's like, and and basically the movie theater was telling you that in the time it took you to get your popcorn, get a drink and find your seats, your car has been stolen. So it made everybody panic for the rest of whatever the feature was because we're just thinking, oh, somebody's got two hours. Nick Cage is stealing cars in 60 seconds. I got to sit through this thing for two hours before I go check on my car to see if it's still parked in the garage. My Honda Civic, there's no way it's still going to be there. I love it. Pretty, pretty intense <laughs> advertising. From, it from is. I was just thinking though. about the 60 seconds, though. I was like, I don't know if I would have liked that. I don't know if I would have watched the movie afterwards because I'm too it's paranoid. It's the greatest premise, though, because it's 50. I think you got to steal 50 cars in a night or something like that. Yeah. And it's I mean, th- there's nothing more fun and doing some some like reading on the making of that movie. It, <laughs> Nicholas Cage loves driving to the point where the it, some of the like, 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 like I guess the, the insurance folks saw some of the dailies and the next day they were on set because they wanted to make sure that Nick Cage wasn't doing too much driving. But Brandon, you feel it in the, that that movie is just like it's one fast car chase. And I, I think that you could see that and you could say, all right, Fast and Furious wishes it was that. The first movie does. And then from that, Fast and Furious folks are like, this is where our franchise goes. Yeah, but I mean, Gone in 60 Seconds, I remember seeing that in the movie theater with some friends. Um, and I, I had a huge crush on Angelina Jolie ever since uh, 
was it hackers that came out in the mid nineties? So I I was going to see it for that. Nicholas cage. Wasn't the big draw for me at that point, even though like I liked the rock and face off and stuff. So I went for Angelina Jolie. I like Giovanni Ribisi because I I was a fan of him starting with boiler room and then saving private Ryan. And so I was like, okay, these are a lot of people I like Uh, Chai McBride who was on uh, Boston public at the time. I was a fan of him and he has a great line in this where, uh, the, the young black actor who like played the gangster that was part of the crew, he was like, oh, you look like a ghetto smurf. I remember like laughing at that uh, that joke even as like a teenager. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the, the, the movie is just it's just anchored by Nicolas Cage in this like, I'm trying to save my little brother, but this this plan doesn't make any sense. So this guy's definitely going to kill us at the end. And then Angelina Jolie and him with their, they don't even have chemistry. It's just like they're both kind of hot people talking to each other in this weird movie. It's, it's, it's a wild, it's a wild time. <laughs> all right. So I'm looking at, at, at the Nick Cage resume I, because I, I want to be generous. I want to let y'all have your Nick Cage movies that are rotten, that should be fresh. And I'm looking at what, what's left and there's still so many to pick from folks. So I have one that, that might surprise people a little bit because it's not Nicolas Cage action centric. It's not Captain Crowley's mandolin. Sorry, everyone. One of my maybe my favorite Nick Cage movie that is rotten that definitely deserves to be fresh is an underrated Christmas movie, and that would be The Family Man, where he plays a guy who it's he he wakes up and and he's super wealthy, but he's 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 alone and he's lonely, just works all the time. So it's sort of like a modern day kind of like mix of It's a Wonderful Life, and he's got a little bit of an Ebenezer Scrooge to him. And then Don Cheadle is sort of his angel and swaps him with the wife that he could have had had he stayed with his college sweetheart, and they started a family together. So the next day he wakes up and it's Christmas morning, and all of a sudden Taylor his wife. He's got kids. He's got a dog. He's got neighbors, and this is his just mundane suburban life and he's trying to fight it for so long and then we go through the movie and the movie is what the movie is but it's only 53 percent Jacqueline am I crazy for thinking this movie is super fresh is this is this not a fresh movie in your eyes it's not that it's not a fresh movie in my eyes I just know that I don't have the same kind of love and affection you do for it it's but not he gets that it's to go bad to Nick cage he goes he full does get cage to go- it gets to go full Nick Cage in it, but the YouTube clips will be there without me having to sit through the rest. Sorry. Is that mean? I think it was mean. It's I'm very sorry. insulting to my movie. Brandon, are you going to pile on? I Yeah, I can't agree with that, man. Like, uh, I think the, the other performances kind of brought it down for me. I remember Taylor Leone, who I was a fan of. I remember, like, I wasn't a fan of that performance. I thought the movie also, like, even as a teenager, I was like, this feels manipulative. Like, I don't feel like this is genuine these feelings I'm supposed to have yeah. about the character. And I think that that's why like, I, I can't, I can't jump on the bus with you, man. It's an easy manipulation. Like I get it. Like, and no offense, Mark, maybe it hits you different nowadays. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm a movie like, like Nick Cage when he wakes up the first time and I'm happy. Yeah. Being that guy. Yeah. And maybe you're like, well, maybe you're sleeping back thinking about who's, who would be my Tay Leone. <laughs> well, that's the problem, though, is that because you know how my brain works, Jacqueline. So every time I watch that movie, I think, OK, I don't want to wake up. I mean, it'd be nice to wake up next to, you know, his wife. But then you realize, oh, no, I procreated. Oh, God. And so as much as that might suck, then he, he, he's he got the dog. And so if you give me the dog versus my my other life where I'm wealthy, but I don't have a dog 
that's where I, I just I I love watching that movie because I don't know which decision I'm making at the end of the day. I don't know if I'm going back. Disappointing Don Cheadle, by the way. I'd also don't want to get on his bad side, but I'd be disappointing Don Cheadle if I went back to my wealthy life. But then I'm maybe my disappointing myself because I'm going back to my family, which I never wanted to start. <laughs> It's a real conundrum. As I'm looking at Molly the Wonder Dog giving me the eyes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, look, being conflicted about it is probably the best way to be at this point. Okay. Any any pushback on either one of the national treasures being rotten? Because I think that's a crime against humanity. I think the I think first one so definitely fun. should be fresh. Absolutely. Yes. The first one's a lot of fun. It, it goes, it's one of his more brisk action films. It goes through very quickly. And also has John Boyd, who's also cuckoo bananas. So you, you, <laughs> it's just, it's just a lot of fun. And it's also like, if you, it's a better version than the Vinci code. Yeah. I mean, that's not saying much though. Yeah. But if we go, if, if we're looking at like the genre of these movies all want to be the next Indiana Jones, I think that, like, he's talking about Angelina Jolie. The Tomb Raiders are in the conversation. The new Tomb Raiders in the conversation. Tom Holland running around with Mark Wahlberg and Uncharted is now in the conversation. You have those Brendan Fraser mummy movies. I'll take National Treasure over all of them because Nick Cage, again, gets to sometimes be crazy, but also show that he's grounded. But then we also get the stellar comedic relief of Justin Bartha, who is the unsung hero of both of those movies. His lines are so, so good. Sean Bean's a villain? Come on, that's a great family adventure movie. Uh, yes, absolutely. And uh, if I believe was one of the first films that started the trend of Sean Bean dying in popular things, right? <laughs> like he had died in other things before that, but this set the trend because he died in GoldenEye first, but like mm. this was where it was like, you know, you need to like do it three times before you realize it's not a mistake. That was like the third time where like, this is not a mistake. They just like killing this fool. Yeah. Lord of the Rings, <laughs> Fellowship of the Ring. And then you get to yeah. eventually Game of Thrones. You're just like, Jesus, Sean, who's yeah, your representation? No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. GoldenEye, Lord of the Rings. And then by the time we get to National Treasure, like this dude just likes to die. National Treasure is 46%. National Treasure Book of Secrets, the sequel, is at 36%. And if you want more on why maybe we didn't get another uh, National Treasure movie, Jack and I had our guest from the New York Times on Marlo Stern about a year ago, Jack. And we've been, we're yeah. getting long in the tooth with this thing. But we were talking other Nick Cage movies, and he basically broke down that, like, after the second National Treasure movie, Nick Cage was already interested in these weird antiquities and, like, going all over the world yeah. like, looking for dinosaur bones and stuff. He was looking for the Holy Grail, Brandon. I don't know if you know any of this. He was looking yeah. for the Holy Grail, and he ended up in Vermont. He was very close, and for some reason, his map led him to Vermont. Now, as a guy who's in New York, I think it's safe to say that the Holy Grail is nowhere near New England. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Honestly, I just appreciate the TARS for him trying. It takes a certain level of arrogance and stupidity to be like, you know what? I'm getting it. <laughs> we all want to do it. We all want to be the one Two thousand years it. later, I'm gonna figure it out. But I think that's what he does, though. I think he figures it out. He doesn't say no to a project, and I think, like, he'll just read a script blindly, like that he's agreed to by his agent, and be like, "Yeah, I'll figure this out." Oh, it's supposed to play a lizard man. Sure, <laughs> like mm -hmm. <laughs> lizard man running a diner in Minnesota. Yep, I can make this work. I did. Um, I dig it. I dig it. I did everyone a, a favor today um, because, full disclosure, recently I got to do more Nick Cage research because I was doing for my show Versus, 
which you can watch on Peacock. Um, I it was Bruce Willis versus Nicolas Cage. And so, you know, going through box office and tomato meter and all these things. And the deciding round, I decided to watch a movie from both Bruce Willis and Nick Cage's library that are zero percent on the tomato meter. Literally zero percent. And so the one that I chose for Nick Cage is a movie called Left Behind. And if you haven't seen Left Behind, it's just it's it's a million things that are so ridiculously stupid, but it is so much fun. And that's one of the reasons why I took Nick Cage over Bruce Willis to win that versus spoiler alert is just because he goes for it and he can do more things like we're talking about earlier than what Bruce Willis can. So I guess my question is, what's like the worst Nick Cage movie you all have ever seen? What's the movie where you said that movie's terrible? Maybe Nick Cage was good in it, but like the worst Nick Cage movie. For uh-huh. me, uh-huh. it would be Snake Eyes. I think like I, there was just nothing on that mo- in that movie for me to grab. And I saw it in the movie theater because, again, my mom used to take me to R-rated movies. And then she wonders why I'm all warped. <laughs> you got a cool mom taking you to see Snake Eyes. She was out of control. Um, I just remember like not caring. Like, it's spoiler alert, Gary Sinise is the bad guy. And I was like, oh, Lieutenant Dan's the bad guy. Like, I couldn't see that a mile away because he has snake eyes. And I was just like, <laughs> I don't like this movie. It was, it's feel, I don't know how long it is. I think it's a little over two hours. And it felt like it. Like, I just couldn't wait for it to be over. My my the worst movie Nick Cage ever made is the death of Superman, the one that he was supposed to make with Kevin Smith that they never made. And that's the worst because it didn't get made. And I still hear about it every single time. That is the one that I I will say is the worst because it should have been made. And it's a travesty. If nothing else, for the fact that I think it would have made Batman, it would have made Superman Returns look like a masterwork. Like, I have a feeling we escaped the worst B movie ever in existence, but it would have been funny. And you know, uh, you know the story behind like this. He wanted a spy. John Peters was producing. He wanted a spider, and then it ended up going to Wild Wild West. Like, yep. there's so much craziness yeah. around that movie. And yeah. Nicolas Cage yep. and the, the test suit with the mullet. He has another mullet as Clark Kent. Yep. And it's. Yep. Uh, you're you're absolutely right, Jacqueline. Yeah, and Thank a great you. shout out to uh, our our late buddy John Schnepp, who made that documentary, "The Death yep. of Superman Lives: What Happened." Yep. Uh, you can check it out on Blu-ray. Brandon, I want you to do me a favor here. I want you to complete this sentence. If Nick Cage stars in "Superman Lives," all the box office records are broken. i mean look this was before we really knew what we were doing with comic book movie franchises we knew how to make a standalone christopher reeve had done it michael keaton did it with batman but we weren't really in these shared universes yet is there a chance that superman lives does that for us or do you think that that's just like a one-off superman movie because if it does well you know we're getting a sequel with even more crazy john peters creations if we had got if we had gotten Superman Lives and it was huge and then we got sequels, we would not have the comic book movies we have now. That's the thing. It would it would literally change cinematic history if that happened. Um I think it would have been worse than the Star Wars special from nineteen seventy eight. I'm sorry. Like Whoa. it's it would have been bad. I just have no faith that would have been a good movie. He didn't even look good in the comic. You don't think it would have been entertaining the though? Doc and like first it of all, been watchable like, for some reason. He's wearing that like that like con air hair, but it's dyed jet black in the suit fitting that's in Schnepp's movie. Like, it's just like, I think everyone got out of that one alive. That's I fair. mean, I say the same thing about the George Miller Justice League because um, the guy that was going to play 
Batman, I think, in that one has basically been cut out of the promotional materials in the last two movies he's made. So yeah, yes, that would have been yeah. a very different Justice League as well, too. So like, I don't know, but I'm 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 not I'm not saying that everyone in it didn't want to make a good movie. I'm saying at that time they just did not have the manpower to do it. I I think though the world being robbed of Tim Burton and Nicolas Cage working together on a movie though more than yep. warrants potentially going at a time machine and making this happen. Don't disagree. Don't disagree. Right. And that was Tim Burton at his prime. So I will have effort that Tim Burton is great, but I want to see the movie. I, I think that's one of those movies where whether it's great or whether it's terrible, we do want to make sure that we get to see it at some point. We never will, but it's just one of those like alternate universe. If I if I put you in a multiverse and you can go see all these other movies that that if like what if Richard Gere had said yes to Die Hard before Bruce Willis got a chance, or what mm-hmm. if Nicolas Cage ended up being Superman? What if Christopher Walken ended up getting cast as the original Superman or Han Solo, something like that? I think that Superman Lives is up there with a movie that we would all want to go see and Nick Cage has proven once again with Pig that he still has a lot of that great actor in him he's got a couple movies coming out later this year so we'll, uh, Brandon I want to talk to you about your, your podcast Medium Popcorn but before we get there just as a final word favorite Nick Cage movie of all time regardless of tomato meter anything else favorite Nick Cage movie of all time is what Ooh, that's that's tough. Okay, I'm going with the Wicker Man just because he's going Wicker there's Man. There's so many sound bites wow. and moments that I just I I'm thinking about dropping my jaw now just thinking about them. I mean, when he's in a bear costume and just starts punching people and he's running and then he still gets caught and then they torture him and then you see the digital bees and him and you realize how he had to react with digital bees stinging him and it's just it's so much fun. If you, if you embrace who Nicolas Cage is and what he brings to the table, it is just so much fun. It's like a warm blanket. Jacqueline, your favorite <laughs> Not gonna Nick go Cage that far. movie of all time. Um, my favorite Nick Cage movie of all time, I guess, I, I mean, I guess I, it says something about my twisted nature, but I guess leaving, uh, leaving Las Vegas, I really do. I really do love leaving Las Vegas. It is twisted. He does go full cage in that movie, just a different kind of full cage. Uh, yeah, I really, I love him in that. Um, Pig is up there as well for me as well. Uh, also Mandy. Mandy is up there for me as well. So yeah, Mandy is, is, yeah, it's Mandy's one of those movies where like, I can't recommend it to all my friends, but like, if you know your friend well enough and you think they're going to like Mandy, they end up raving about it. So Mandy's up there for me. I'm not going to put Mandy as like my favorite, favorite Nick Cage movie. Raising Arizona is a contender. And that was one of the first movies where we got to see Nick Cage because basically when when, when he signed on to do that movie, the Coen brothers sort of let him do what he wanted to do. And I think that he was quoted as saying that he was just trying to basically be the human version of Woody Woodpecker right down to the hair. And to their credit, the Coen brothers were like, cool, dude, run with it. I I think my favorite Nick Cage movie of all time is still going to be The Rock. I just think it's it's, it's one of the great action movies of all time. But I will give a major shout to, uh, to Raising Arizona as well, Brandon. I do want to give two honorable mentions, Perfect though. One. Kick-Ass. He yes. was phenomenal in that first one. Yes. Uh, he was awesome. Yeah. And then there's this movie in the early 90s called It Could Happen to You with Bridget Fonda. Yeah. I used to watch all the time. Like, I'm, I'm a sucker for, like, romantic comedies. And I believe Rosie Perez was in it, too. And I just. Yep. Yeah. Like, you know, Rosie being a young Perez, boy, I was Stanley just like, I Tucci. love. Yep. Stanley Tucci's in that one as well, too. 
Yeah, I just, uh, just a sucker for, and also my family used to do this thing where like every week they would, they would play the lottery. And the way I guess to make me not think that they were degenerates, they were like, hey, Brandon, you know, if we win this lottery, we're going to buy a new house and all these things. I'm like, oh, cool. And then in this movie, Nicolas Cage won the lottery and I saw all the good things he was doing. I was like, if I win the lottery, I'm going to be like Nicolas Cage. Minus being a cop. <laughs> yeah. We all think we're going to be generous with our lottery money until we see the winning numbers and then so good. things. But I mean, I, I maybe if one of us wins the lottery, we should finance a Nick Cage movie just because we'd all have such a good time doing it. I don't disagree. And hey, listen, uh, <laughs> it's he has a, a similar model to what Bruce does, which is basically if you can get him out in a couple of days, he'll do it. And he does yeah, like a mil- Knock out those scenes over a week and and then make the movie around him. And there's your, uh, you know, cut print ship. And then every so often he can crank out another Oscar contender like what we saw with Pig. So, um, Brandon, I'm not going to give all the credit to Nick Cage for you starting your your podcast where you you talk movies, you review movies, you review some some old movies, maybe some cult classics that people have missed. What was sort of the uh, the inspiration behind starting Medium Popcorn and why not go large popcorn? (laughs) Yeah, so um, I, I started the podcast actually by myself, but then I realized very quickly it's lonely to podcast and talk about movies just by yourself. And so uh, my friend Justin, he and I had done sketch comedy. We met in college. We known each other for years, and I already like had experienced podcasting. I was like, hey man, like you know, we can vibe about anything. We could talk about anything that comes up. Like let's do this together. And we create a theme song, and that's kind of what start like gave us the the idea would be like, oh, we have something here. So folks, Medium Popcorn, I, I will say, has the best theme song on any podcast. It's a cover of Easy Lover by Phil Collins. It's fantastic. Check it out. Um, but yeah, like the, the, the idea was just for us to essentially be like friends talking about whatever movies we felt like reviewing. And that's what a lot of people that follow us and support us, they say it's like being my group of friends, hearing them talk about the movies. And sometimes they share the same feelings I have. And sometimes they're completely off base, but I still enjoy the conversation. And we do go down some weird rabbit holes, um, especially when we talk about like insane films, like anything Nicolas Cage, um, you know, we always have uh, a lot of fun doing that or just anything that has like absurd moments or uh, clearly like, you know, there's a string, a shoestring budget. And so we talk about, <laughs> Hey, like we know what the filmmakers are trying to do because we've been on sets before we're actors, but then also, ugh, you know, yeah. you kind of drop the ball here in post or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but we do new and old films. It's always a variety. There's no specific theme. So it keeps uh, us and the listeners on their toes. And I dig it. Jacqueline, you, uh, you should probably at some point check out Medium Popcorn to see what they have to say about the Nick Cage movies that are coming up that you've already seen that you are being very tight-lipped about. Not very type lift about. Probably going to get in trouble. We're going to have to have a conversation with Brian Paris to make sure I don't get banned from seeing movies ever again. But very excited either way. All right. Well, that is medium popcorn. And again, is that your snack when you go to the movies? Because I'm 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 a very traditionalist. I'm I'm a popcorn. I might do a little bit of butter from feeling frothy, but I'll I'll get a, a diet beverage of some sort and a popcorn, and I'm good to go. I think medium is also uh, the reason why we chose that size is because that's usually the average rating for the most part uh, for a lot of our films, but also like that's the healthiest option we both concluded in regards to getting yeah. the medium to medium. Cause if you go large or beyond that, you, you might have some problems or people might look at you sideways. So medium across the way, 
Don't dig Something that. about holding that bucket, Jacqueline. What, what, what were you calling me out for my... Yes! For my, I hate what? that you're a purist of popcorn because I've explained to you how no butter, jalapenos, and Parmesan cheese is the way to go. And every time I mention that to you, you think I'm crazy. But small popcorn with jalapenos, it's better for you. Brandon's and giving you a look, too. A little bit of Parmesan cheese. It is popcorn nachos. Not on my popcorn. Uh, like on nachos, <laughs> I used to work at a movie theater. That was my first job ever, actually, was in a movie theater. Yeah. And my favorite thing besides popcorn would be the melted, you know, movie theater cheese and then some jalapenos, especially if they were like freshly cut jalapenos. Oh, my God. Yes. Movie not the softy theater, ones. Yeah. Queso. It was my introduction to queso. And, and it was when I saw Batman 1989 and my entire world changed. My athletic career might have taken a dip, but my entire movie going career would never be the same. And none of us would ever be the same after seeing any of those great Nick Cage movies that we just talked about. So once again, he is Brandon Collins. You can check out his podcast wherever you enjoy podcasts, how you're listening to us. You can listen to him on Medium Popcorn or check out and subscribe to his YouTube channel so you can see him and Justin talk all things new movies, old movies, things that you missed. It's it's just it's a great endeavor you're doing, and uh, it, it it reminds me of a, of a bygone show called Schmoes No, and uh, keep on keep on carrying the torch, my man, and uh, we we love having you on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you Definitely. all so much for having me on. Anytime to talk about Mr. Cage is always a good time. It was so much fun talking with Brandon, getting to connect with him. And we really find that we see eye to eye on most of these Nick Cage action movies. You're gone in 60 seconds. You're your face offs, obviously con air, the rock, but then Jacqueline and Brandon both just leaving me high and dry with family, man. Maybe, uh, you know what? I'll watch it again at Christmas and maybe I'll see if I'm wrong, but pretty sure I'm right on that one. So Simon West, as I tease at the top, the director of Con Air got his start doing some commercials, but he also did a very famous music video that you've definitely seen usually when you didn't want to. Sorry to Rickroll everyone. He directed the video for Rick Astley, never going to give you up. So uh, apologies for the earworm, but it's going to be in your head the rest of the week. Again, my bad. But if you want something good, then you can check out Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, particularly coming up when we do our Hook episode. We are so excited to talk about Hook. It's been one of these bonanza episodes that we've wanted to do for a long time. It's one of the very few Spielberg-directed movies that's rotten on his tomato meter resume. And if you want us to do Hook, send us a video recording of you telling us why you love Hook, why you think Rotten Tomatoes got Hook right. It can run the gamut of suggestions, but I know that there's a lot of Hook defenders out there. One of them may not be talking right now, but you can email us anytime, whether it's about Hook or any other mailbag you want to get to us. You have thoughts about what movies we should be talking about coming up here on the show. Just hit us up at rtiswrong at rottentomatoes.com. Subscribe, rate, review, do all that great stuff. And on behalf of Jacqueline Coley, our special guest, Brandon Collins, Producey Lucy, and our esteemed engineer, Brian Perez, I am merely Mark Ellis saying thanks for watching. You can get upcoming comedy tickets for where I'm on tour at markellis.live. And we'll see you next time right here on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong.